0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and
1: more.
2: Hello and welcome to the world today. It's Thursday the 25th of January. I'm Stephanie Smale coming to you from the lands of the Turbul and Yugara people in Brisbane. Today, high winds and heavy rains start hitting the North Queensland coast as cyclone Kirillie heads towards Townsville, and the United Nations says Israeli shells have hit one of their compounds in Gaza, prompting a strong response from the United States.
3: Incredibly concerning and uh, we deplore today's attack on uh, the UN's Khan Yunus training centre. Um, you've heard me say it before, you've heard the secretary say it before, but uh, civilians must be protected.
2: First today, the federal government is defending its overhaul of stage three tax cuts, saying the broken election promise is doing the right thing for the right reasons in a cost of living crisis. Speaking at the National Press Club, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has said it's clear Australians need more relief.
4: Australians are looking for more help. Australians deserve more help and today I can confirm that more help is on the way.
2: The redesigned Stage 3 tax cuts mean people on higher wages will miss out on thousands of dollars in cuts, but middle-income earners will be about $800 better off. The opposition is describing the change as an egregious betrayal, but welfare groups are welcoming the reform. Rachel Hayter reports.
5: A broken promise the Treasurer is framing as putting people before politics.
6: We found a better way to provide more relief to more people uh, who are confronting these persistent and sustained cost of living pressures in our economy.
5: Jim Chalmers says the redesigned Stage 3 tax cuts are better for everyone.
6: What we're proposing today is better for Middle Australia, better for cost of living pressures, better for women and workforce participation, better for nurses and truckies and teachers and as the Treasury advice that I release will show it's better for the economy as well.
5: The changes would come into effect from July 1 and me mean- People earning between $18 and $45,000 a year will have their tax rate reduced from 19 to 16 percent, but workers who earn between $135 and $200,000 will miss out on promised cuts. The government will keep the rate at 37 percent for people earning more than $135,000. And the top tax rate of 45% will now kick in at $190,000. The federal government had been insisting as recently as Monday it was committed to the Coalition era cuts in their original form, a flat tax rate of 30% for people earning between 45 dollars and $200,000. And these voters are mixed on whether that's OK.
7: It's tough times, so you've got to be a bit fair to what's going on, but the reality is is that I don't think Australia's very happy with the job that the government's doing.
1: I think they're doing the right thing. It's the people on the low
7: incomes who need the extra money more than those on very high incomes. I think we make a lot of our promises being kept without evaluating the situation at hand. I've never known a politician to keep their promise yet.
5: The Coalition's describing it as an agreement Betrayal.
1: This is not just a broken promise. This is a lie. A lie to win an election. Every single seat, every Labor MP won, was one off a lie.
5: Speaking to the ABC's Patricia Carvellis, Deputy Liberal Leader Susan Lee has this morning also reversed suggestions the Coalition would seek to undo
1: any changes. Our position is that the Stage 3 tax cuts should be implemented as designed and as endorsed by the Australian people. But you're not promising a rollback. That was roll the back. Albanese's position. We will assess any proposal that comes out today. Of course we will. Liberal Victorian Senator
5: James Patterson told Sky News his party's tax plan is coming.
4: We look for the opportunity to lower taxes at every opportunity for every Australian. We just don't believe we should break an election commitment to do so. So we'll look very carefully at this and we'll announce our own tax policies in good time before the next election.
5: The CEO of the Australian Council of Social Service, Cassandra Goldie, is welcoming Labor's redesign. We have more help now for people on modest incomes who are within the income tax system. She believes state three tax cuts were always bad policy. It was announced at a time when we had a government that was worried it was going to lose an election. Independent member for Fowler in southwestern Sydney Di Lee points out it was a different economy then.
1: When you go to election you make promises you know at the time is the economy is different so of course you should change as a leader you have you have the courage to change it's not about making broken promises. It's about how can you actually take people on the journey and say, listen, we have to change because you know we have to support people who are, who are struggling. Independent MP for
5: Warringah, Zali Stegall, is concerned for families who factored in the
1: original cuts. What I really have an issue though is the repeated lying in interviews where when it's been put to the Prime Minister and the Treasurer of, should you be looking at the tax stage, three tax cuts, should they be changed? There's been a repeated until only like two days ago, no, no, absolutely it's a promise we won't touch it.
5: Treasurer Jim Chalmers is emphasising his revamp is revenue neutral. Meaning it won't cost the government any more.
6: The difference uh, is only about uh, a billion dollars in a package, which now gets to 107 billion dollars. It was going to be about 106 over the Ford estimates. It will now be uh, 107.
5: Mr. Chalmers also says he's been assured by Treasury and the Reserve Bank the changes won't fuel inflation.
2: Rachel Hayter reporting, as the political debate rages over these tax changes, economists are flagging that a much bigger tax overhaul is what's really needed. I spoke to Dr Angela Jackson from Impact Economics a short time ago. Angela, you've been lobbying for the federal government to change the Stage 3
1: tax cuts. Have they gone far enough? Look, I think there's always going to be a question about degrees, but I think certainly in terms of maintaining the pro- progressivity of our tax system, which was probably the main criticism of the original Stage 3 tax cut plan, that was you wouldn't pay more than 30% uh, marginal tax rate up to $200,000. It was a real flattening of our tax structure uh, in Australia, which was going to add over time to inequality. Um, and, and really, that's what it came down. To. So by retaining the 37.5% tax rate, what they've done is maintain that progressivity through the tax system. And I think that's a really, really welcome change.
2: It's broadly accepted this is a broken promise. Was there another way Labor could have handled this? <laughs>
1: Look, there's always going to be that political question about whether or not uh, they should have gone to the last election with this plan or not. It's fair to say that this tax plan has been around for, you know, over five years. Um, it's been on the books um, and could have could the Labour Party have gone to the last election offering this up to the Australian people as an alternative. I'll leave that to the political commentators. Uh, I think from an economic perspective, however, obviously the timing is crucial because these tax cuts were due and are scheduled to come into effect from 1 July this year. And so if they were going to move and and going to reform them, they had to be done now or, or never, really. The
2: Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, says the RBA Governor doesn't expect the redesign to alter expectations for inflation. Do you think that's realistic?
1: Look, I guess what we're looking at here is the original stage three tax cuts versus this reform to the stage three tax cuts. Um, And in quantum, it's the same amount uh, that's going to be going into the economy. Now, that will be somewhat inflationary, whether it was the original or this new plan. Um, and I don't think the Reserve Bank Governor is saying that that's not the case. But what they're saying is that this new plan isn't going to add to inflation any more than the old plan was. Now, there is a broader debate about the timing of these tax cuts, about what that will mean. On the plus side, the reforms, what they mean is for the lower end in particular, not only will people get that tax cut, but the incentives to work are going to be increased uh, one of again the, the primary criticisms, I think, from an economic perspective, about the old tax cuts was because they were going to high-income earners who were already working full-time. There wasn't really that participation dividend for the broader economy. But what we will see from these new redesigned tax cuts uh, through reducing uh, that lower. Uh, tax rate from 19% to 16% is that the incentives to work for people working part-time on low incomes will be enhanced uh, and that will help the supply side of the economy uh, and that will be deflationary. So overall, I think, you know, it swings and roundabouts like all these things in terms of quantum it's about the same. So that's not going to add to the inflationary pressures and the extent to which it does lift labour force participation at that lower end, it may well reduce inflationary pressure in the the short to medium term. And is this a missed opportunity
2: to reform what's often been described as a broken tax system overall? How is it broken and what else needs to change?
1: Look, quite a lot needs to change, especially if we look forward. So, one of the things and the anomalies about the Australian tax system is we do rely heavily on income tax uh, to fund government services Uh, and that puts a real impost on workers and impacts the efficiency of our economy. We do need to be thinking more about wealth taxation, about the taxation of assets in our system to fund the increasing costs of government going forward.
2: That's Dr Angela Jackson from Impact Economics. On ABC Radio across Australia, streaming online and on the ABC Listen app, this is The World Today. Thanks for your company. Cyclone Kiralee is closing in on the north Queensland coast and has intensified into a Category 2 system. Wind speeds are picking up across the Sundays and coastal communities are bracing for what's to come. Businesses and schools are closed, with residents sandbagging and making final preparations before the system hits. Rachel Mealy reports.
7: It's an anxious wait for many Queenslanders as the unwanted visitor makes her presence felt. Rob Davis lives in Cannonvale, just near Airlie Beach.
4: I woke up this morning and uh, and just looked out my window and saw that there was wind. And then now that I've come out onto the balcony, I can see that, the, uh, that there's a constant, probably 15... 20 knots, and now it's, and with the gusts coming through, it goes to 35 easy.
7: 35 knots is about 65 kilometres an hour, but there's a lot more of that to come.
4: We expect that there'll be sufficient and certainly an ample breezes to uh, start breaking limbs on trees by this afternoon.
7: The Weather Bureau has upgraded Cyclone Kiralee to a Category 2 system. Senior Forecaster Laura Burkle says it will continue to strengthen.
1: Tropical cyclone Kiralee is now a Category 2 system as of 10am this morning. It's situated approximately 420 kilometres east, northeast of
7: Townsville. The state's disaster coordinator is Deputy Commissioner Shane Chilepi. He says emergency authorities are ready for Kiralee.
4: We've got considerable resources uh, deployed, not just... Not just police, but what we've got is uh, some swiftwater rescue technicians, uh, well over 100 now situated right through the state by the Queensland Fire and Emergency Services. Uh, we've got extra police deployed. We've got emergency services personnel. Our SES are ready to go. Um, and also we're looking for the post-crossing. So Energy Queensland have already staged significant resources in the Rockhampton area so that we can move them north immediately.
7: Deputy Commissioner Chilepi is urging Queenslanders in the at-risk zone to think about how they'll fare when the cyclone hits.
4: If you, if you don't feel that you're going to be safe in your home, whether it be from wind, rain, flooding, um, it's probably time today, during the hours of daylight, to make that decision and move to one of our evacuation centres or cyclone shelters uh, in the area. Townsville
1: Mayor Jenny
7: Hill wants her community to stay alert.
1: We will be sending out emergency alerts to our community, advising them to begin sheltering in place from 2pm today. That's when we're expected to see wind gusts of above 80 kilometres an hour.
7: Queensland Premier Stephen Miles says all that can be done has been done.
8: We're prepared and ready for the worst. Now we wait and hope for the best. Our message to Queenslanders is now is the time to make sure that you're ready, make sure your emergency kit is stocked, make sure that you have enough essential items to potentially have to get through days without
4: power.
7: For residents across North Queensland like Rob Davis, it'll be a long night.
4: Tonight will be probably the time where we will be constantly checking maps and looking outside to see if everything's okay. And Uh, during Debbie, it sort of was just seriously bad through the night. You could hardly hear yourself shout um, with the noise. Along with all the breeze comes this terrible increase in rattling trees and groaning buildings and things. So uh, I don't think it's going to get that bad, but we'll certainly be um, aware of that when, when it starts to happen.
2: Rob Davis, ending Rachel Mealy's report. And as we've heard, Cyclone Kiralee is expected to cross the coast near the city of Townsville, which is home to more than 190,000 people. I spoke to ABC reporter Lucy Cooper, who's there, about what locals are expecting.
3: So all the emergency alerts that have been sent out to residents around Townsville have been... it's to shelter from 2 p.m today so from about 2 p.m we'll expect those wind gusts to be about 80 kilometers an hour the cyclone then will begin to cross this afternoon um at around and then into 10 p.m that's when we'll um expect that official cross and then that's when we can see those winds and, and wind gusts to be about 120 to 165 kilometers an hour so yeah category two storm
2: Is this your first cyclone? Where will you be sort of for the afternoon and what preparations have you had to make?
3: Yeah, it is my first cyclone. I'm actually a Hobart girl originally, so I never thought I'd go through a tropical cyclone. Um, but, yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, just, you know, housemates and I, I'm, I'm right on the river in Townsville in an apartment. And so we've just been prepping, just did, um, just got some fruit and veggies, made up some meals, you know, um, getting some, got our eskies ready if that power goes out and, you know, filling the bathtub with water as well because, you know, we do often know that water gets cut in cyclone events um, just for safety-wise. So, yeah, just good to have things like that.
2: And what are authorities telling people in Townsville about what the scene could be like in the morning?
3: Mm, Well, the Bureau this morning said Cyclone Kiralee will bring really, really dangerous weather. So... Uh, category two or not, it's still bringing those you know large amount of rainfall, uh, big wind gusts, and so really the local um, the local council in in Townsville is saying this afternoon, well this morning, to make those preparations. If you do not feel like your house can withstand a cyclone and you do not feel safe in it, it's it's you need to evacuate this morning. Do that before this afternoon, so that you're not driving through uh, I- excessive wind. Uh, lots of people are opening their homes to uh, friends and family and I mean it is a category two cyclone most homes in Townsville are rated for at least a cat three so most people will be safe at home but it's those you know kind of low-lying areas in Townsville where everyone has been really encouraged to relocate.
2: And taping windows and stuff is that the sort of preparations that you've seen?
3: Absolutely. Taping windows, Um, we've seen a huge amount of sandbagging. I mean, only in December did we have cyclone jasper you know as loom as a threat really and that and that passed through the the far north but yeah here in north queensland everyone was really prepared for something from jasper and so yeah now they've a lot of people already had their water they already had their non-perishables um and so it's been kind of those things we've seen the supermarkets quite well stocked here water's really the only thing that's quite hard to come by but yeah this morning i was just down at the marina talking to a lot of boaties who they've you know booked their spot and tying up their boats and, uh, yeah, kind of moving to accommodation in town because, uh, yeah, that wind is just going to be incredible through here.
2: ABC reporter Lucy Cooper there. The United Nations says at least nine people have been killed after alleged Israeli tank strikes hit one of their compounds in southern Gaza. The United States has condemned the attack, saying civilians must be protected. It comes as fighting in the South intensifies, with experts saying it's hard to know whether another ceasefire agreement is any closer. Elizabeth Cramsey reports.
0: In southern Gaza, flames licked the roof of a UN compound where 800 people were taking shelter. The UN says two tank shells struck the Khan Yunis training centre as fighting raged nearby. For now, Israel denies any air or artillery strike on the building, but says the situation is under review. James McAldrick is the interim humanitarian coordinator at the office of the UN Special Coordinator for the Middle East Peace Process.
9: There was a, a, an attack on a, an UNRWA training centre in Cannes. Yunis. It's been sheltering 10,000 displaced people, and they've just been hit recently in the afternoon, just now, and mass casualties have taken place. Some buildings are ablaze, and um, there's reported of deaths. Many people are trying to flee the scene but unable to do so.
0: In Washington, Deputy Spokesperson for the State Department, Vidant Patel, was quick to condemn the attack.
3: Uh, when we deplore today's attack on uh, the UN's Khan Training Center, um, you've heard me say it before, you've heard the secretary say it before, but uh, civilians must be protected and the protected nature of UN facilities must be respected. And humanitarian workers uh, must be protected so that they can continue providing civilians with the life-saving uh, humanitarian assistance um, that they need.
0: Fighting in the South has intensified in recent days and as Middle East analyst Dr Roger Shanahan explains, there are two possible reasons for this.
9: Either as the Israeli military is saying that they believe some of the senior leadership of Hamas is down in southern Gaza in the areas around Khan Yunis, and also concentrations of Hamas fighters as well and so inevitably there's going to be more significant fighting Or on the other hand, uh, perhaps Israel is spelling the political winds and understanding that it's got a limited time frame and so it needs to accelerate the ground phase of its operations.
0: The UN says the compound was clearly marked and that its coordinates had been shared with Israeli authorities. Dr Shanahan says it's important an investigation is undertaken.
9: I think the first thing after actions have been done to obviously treat the wounded uh, is to ascertain exactly what happened as quickly as possible so some blame can be apportioned and we can try and reduce the possibility of something like this happening again.
0: And while whispers of a possible peace deal spread, Dr Shanahan says many questions remain unanswered.
9: It's so difficult to tell because of the Israel's determination to try and exact uh, a price on uh, Hamas to degrade it to the point at which it will find very difficult to reconstitute itself in any reasonable time frame. But at the same time, they understand they've got 130 hostages that they have to get back. There are always talks going on about negotiations, but how serious the negotiations are at the moment, nobody really knows.
0: Meanwhile in Israel, anti-war protesters are calling for an end to the fighting. One of the protesters is Segal Kuk Avivi. It's ridiculous. It doesn't bring back the hostages. It doesn't serve us anything. It only harms the Israeli
2: society. It harms the Palestinians. That was anti-war protester Seagal VV ending that report from Elizabeth Cramsey. Ukraine is accusing Moscow of deliberately jeopardising the lives of prisoners of war in a dispute over a downed Russian military plane. Russia's defence ministry has accused Ukrainian forces of shooting down the plane, which it says was carrying 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war to a prisoner swap. Ukrainian officials haven't confirmed or denied Russia's claims about the crash. Now Whitehead has more.
8: Russia has accused Ukraine of shooting down a military transport plane in its border region of Belgorod. Its defence ministry says Ukraine launched missiles from across the border, killing all 75 people aboard, including 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war. It says the Ukrainians were being transferred for a prisoner exchange. Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, has called for an emergency UN Security Council session, calling the crash a criminal act.
3: Ukrainian prisoners of war were transported to the Belgorod region, For the next exchange agreed upon between Moscow and Kiev. Instead of this exchange taking place, the Ukrainian side from the Kharkiv region launched an anti aircraft missile attack on this plane, which became fatal.
8: Russia hasn't offered any evidence, and officials in Ukraine haven't confirmed or denied the accusations. But Kiev admits that a prisoner swap was planned and its military intelligence said it hadn't been told to ensure safe airspace as on previous occasions. In his nightly broadcast, President Volodymyr Zelensky said it was Russia who put the prisoners' lives at risk.
4: It's evident that the Russians are playing with the lives of Ukrainian prisoners, with the feelings of their families and with the emotions of our society. It's necessary to establish all clear facts to the extent possible, considering that the plane crash occurred on Russian territory beyond our control.
8: The US has said it's trying to get more information on what happened. Francis Farrell is a journalist with Ukrainian English language newspaper, The Kiev Independent. He says it's hard to verify what happened.
9: If we're talking about travel by air in an area very close to the border which is in a way an active front line between the two sides then of course there's going to be a threat of that military plane being shot down by enemy air defense and it's it's completely possible that that has happened that ukrainian air defense has seen a russian military plane flying around close to its border and and has shot it down but i mean i think the ukrainians were right in saying that that's russia's responsibility because if they don't notify the ukrainians that we're going to be flying around with your prisoners then that kind of thing can happen because there's a war going
8: on. With Russia's war in Ukraine approaching its third year, Russia's air attacks have intensified. With Ukraine warning its forces are suffering from a shortage of ammunition.
2: Nell Whitehead reporting and that's all from the World Today team. Thanks for your company. I'm Stephanie Smale.